This is Inside Politics, Election 2022. I'm Steve Harrison. What we thought wouldn't happen in North Carolina's U.S. Senate race is set to occur. Democrat Sherry Beasley and Republican Ted Budd are scheduled to debate October 7th. Budd had refused to debate his Republican opponents in the primary and until September gave no indication he was going to agree to a debate with Beasley. Perhaps polls that show the race is very close have something to do with that. So with the race heating up, we're focused on their campaigns today. My co-host, Tim Funk and Jim Morrill, will talk to Democratic and Republican strategists who've had a lot of experience working in high-profile campaigns in North Carolina. Republican Paul Shoemaker, whose clients have included U.S. Senators Richard Burr and Tom Tillis, will talk to Jim later in the show. First up is Democratic strategist Morgan Jackson. I'll let Tim take it from here. Morgan Jackson is a co-founder of Raleigh-based Nexus Strategies and a veteran of several high-profile political campaigns in North Carolina, including Democratic Governor Roy Cooper's election in 2016 and his re-election in 2020. Jackson also had a hand in Democrat Cal Cunningham's 2020 run for the U.S. Senate, and he's now the chief political advisor for not only Governor Cooper, but also for North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein, a Democrat who is widely expected to run for governor in 2024. Welcome, Morgan Jackson. Hey, great to be with you, Tim. Sherry Beasley and Ted Budd will hold their first and probably their only debate on October 7th. You've helped other Democrats, Roy Cooper, Cal Cunningham, get ready for those big debates in past elections. If you were Sherry Beasley's debate coach this year, what would you tell her? So, you know, I think first and foremost, uh, debates are fascinating theater and their performance art in a lot of ways. Uh, candidates have to get their messaging in, uh, their positive messaging and their sort of offensive messaging and very quickly pivot in the, in, in, you know, the, in a time frame that's 30 seconds or 90 seconds to an offensive attack on the Republican, uh, the opposite candidate. And so I, I think the key thing for Beasley here is for somebody who hasn't been as a judge has not been able to debate, uh, much less share your opinions is I think what voters want to see from Sherry Beasley is the same person they see in these TV ads, which is who, who Beasley is, which is a genuine real person who cares about North Carolina, who looks at both sides of an issue and, and makes the right decision based on law. I think she's come across extremely well on television. Debates are tricky. Uh, because it, it it really is performance art, and you're you're out there on your own, you and your opponent in a moderator, and you never know exactly how that dynamic is going to play out. I think it's very important for Beasley to put uh, Ted Budd on the spot, try to get him to force to answer questions uh, about his role in defrauding farmers out of a, a ton of money and real estate. I think it's important to put Ted Budd for Ted Budd to have to answer for his all the folks who showed up at the insurrection and participated in the insurrection were patriots. I think it's incredibly important that Ted Budd have to answer for his abortion stance, which is no abortion with no exceptions for rape, incest, or life of the mother. Because Bud has been largely absent uh, on the campaign trail and certainly talking to media, this is a prime opportunity to force him to have to answer those questions. So we'll get to a couple of those questions or those issues later, but uh what about what about Bud? What does he need to do in this debate? I know you're a Democrat, but uh, take that hat off for a minute and just weigh in on what you think Bud 
You know, listen, I think in general, Tim, it's sort of like a boxing metaphor is the best way to look at it. Everybody's looking for that knockout punch. Is there going to be a knockout punch? Debates are about scoring points. Nobody gets knocked out in a debate. It's about who wins on the points of each question. And over the time, how do how do viewers and how do the media, the media will cover it way more than the actual eyeballs of the viewers who are watching it live or streaming it online. And how do the candidates come across uh, with some mannerisms? How comfortable are you? How are you able to communicate your message? And again, try to score some points and draw some blood on your opponent. And I think for either side, that's going to be the important thing to think about. Everybody in a debate is looking for a moment. And debates are really about moments. Can you create a moment for your opponent to stumble? Can you create, can you seize that moment when they do stumble, if they stumble and capitalize on it? Often campaigns go into these debate performances thinking about, can we have a knockout punch? The truth of the matter is you just don't want to lose a debate. The only way to win a debate is because your candidate has lost, the, the other side has lost the debate. You don't win debates anymore. Uh, and that, that's just a reality unless somebody else is losing the debate. So for Bud, I think the challenge for Bud is going to be able to survive a series of questions that he's not wanting to answer uh, <laughs> about certifying the election, to uh, about his abortion stance. Is he going to be able to do that? How many times is Ted Bud going to say Joe Biden's name uh, in this debate? I expect it'll be somewhere north of 70, uh, if I had to guess. Uh, as he tries to link Sherry Beasley as to make her a national Democrat. And, and I think that's a challenge based on uh, the, the race that she's run and the, the stances that she's taken. You sound like a Democratic strategist giving advice to a Republican. Uh, you mentioned. <laughs> survive in advance. That's, that's my advice to everybody. That's what you want to do in a debate, survive. So you, you mentioned this is not going to be a high ratings uh, debate. This is not a presidential debate, uh, unlike other states. These are not two celebrities. Uh, a lot of people don't really know who they are. Um, so will many North Carolinians even watch this debate? And if not, how do you think it and the media coverage of it will affect the race? I think one of the reasons, in all due honesty, is that you don't see as many debates anymore is because viewership is really down on debates. Presidential debates still get decent viewers, but not, not as much after the debacle that was the first debate in 2020 uh, between Trump and Biden. I don't think anybody ever wanted to watch a debate again after that. The other side, Tim, is you got to remember is the people who are viewing generally have already decided who they're mm-hmm. going to vote for. Candidates have a better chance to reach voters through paid communication than they do any earned media that comes around a debate just because folks don't tune in. And even the media coverage around it, you're talking about one story, several outlets that'll cover it, one story, and the amount of voters that will actually read those and and see the back and forth and, and come away with the conclusion of one candidate was better than the other are pretty small. Let's get to a few of the issues that might come up in the debate. Uh, Beasley is likely to get hit on the crime issue, uh, a favorite this year of Republicans. There's a new ad out from the Club for Growth uh, saying Beasley, the former chief justice on the state Supreme Court, was part of a majority on the court that ruled against allowing the lifetime GPS tracking of a man who had served time for some pretty uh, heinous sex crimes. Uh, was it a mistake for her to stress her judicial experience in TV ads and on the stump? And how should she handle the crime issue in the debate? 
Well, first of all, I'll say, no, it wasn't a mistake. I, I think if you look at the polls right now, Republicans have been trying to make Sherry Beasley soft on crime for three months, and it hadn't worked. They've thrown everything they have at her, uh, and it hadn't worked. You know, Tim, the, uh, the numbers that I look at not only are the head-to-head in a race, but where are the unaffiliateds breaking? I also look, look at how voters, what the favorable rating of these candidates are, and how they're performing versus a generic ballot. And in every poll that I'm looking at, Sherry Beasley's leading a generic ballot, meaning a D versus a generic D versus generic R. And she's in a good position. This is a dead even race right now. Republicans have tried crime against her for three months and it just hasn't done anything. People aren't buying it. They're just not buying that this, ran, you know, a random case here or there where the law is what the law is. Um, that somehow it makes her soft on crime. That's just BS. And I, voters aren't buying it. Okay. Unlike some other GOP Senate candidates, Bud has embraced Donald Trump rather than running away from him. They recently appeared side by side at that rally in Wilmington. Uh, Trump did carry North Carolina twice, but not by that much. Is Trump a good issue in the debate for Bud or for Beasley or neither? Donald Trump's voters are highly motivated voters and have a outsized impact in the primary. Not, that is sort of drug Ted Bud across the finish line in the primary, that and independent expenditures. What I would tell you in the general election, North Carolina is a 50-50 state. These races are won or lost on the margins, these big races. Uh, nothing repels a swing voter in the suburbs like Donald Trump. So I, I appreciate the fact that Trump continues to inject himself into this race. The swing voters that are going to make the decision and have won or lost these races for candidates in the last four or five cycles, a lot of them are in the suburbs. A lot of them are they're more college educated than not. And and while people want to talk about Joe Biden, you know, his favorability numbers are not greater as approval numbers. The only person who's the person who's much worse is actually Donald Trump. And when you look at it with swing voters, undecided voters, Trump's ratings are in the tank. Should debate coach Morgan Jackson tell Cherry Beasley to bring up Trump in the debate? Uh, absolutely. I, and I think you, you will. I, I, I will be surprised if she doesn't. Um, let me talk a little bit history. Um, in the last 20 years, Republicans have won six of the seven U.S. Senate races in North Carolina. What? What makes you think Beasley can end this heartbreak for Democrats in these final weeks? And so what I would say is a couple of things are different about this cycle or unique about this cycle. It's been 26 years since an African-American has led the ticket for Democrats or for Republicans at all either. It's been since 1996. Harvey Gantt was the last African-American nominee for either governor or for U.S. Senate major campaign. I think that's a big deal. And when you talk about motivation to vote on midterms. A lot of times you see historic candidacies have an ability to motivate voters, especially uh, African-American, younger voters, women uh, voters in a way that maybe a traditional nominee wouldn't or, an, or a non-diverse nominee. She's also the first, it'll be the first time in North Carolina history that an African-American female has led the ticket. That's a very big deal. On the reverse side of it, we talk about North Carolina in the last 26 years has changed a lot. Uh, it's urbanized. It's got a ton, you know, places like Wake and Mecklenburg added 100,000 voters between them uh, in the last four years. That's a big deal. States growing rapidly. But so are so are its geopolitical divisions to a certain extent. And the thing about it with this race is that Ted Budd is actually the most conservative Republican nominee for the United States senator since Jesse Helms. 
And North Carolina has changed an awful lot since the race baiting days of Jesse Helms in 1996. And Ted Budd is cut from that same cloth as that conservative. And here's a guy, I mean, look at his voting record. More times than not, when there's five people voting against something in the United States House, he's one of those, one of eight. The contrast couldn't be clearer between these two candidates. Of course, Jesse Helms beat Harvey Gantt twice. So you think the state has changed enough? Uh, there's a lot more college-educated voters, for example, and they uh, – what does that matter? Um, you know, Tim, it's interesting is that college education is becoming a greater predictor of your vote uh, than even sometimes your race or your age or your gender. And depending on where these voters are, uh, college-educated voters – Republicans have a tremendous – problem with college educated voters. Uh, I would tell you, and the Republicans will agree, they'll tell Republican strategists will tell you that's true. Obviously, Democrats have a really hard time and a real challenge with non-college educated voters. And the polarization breaks down a lot along college education. And so as North Carolina continues to be an in-migration state, as we see these job announcements every other week that uh, you know, in in the Charlotte area, in the Raleigh area, in Greensboro, Asheville, Wilmington, we continue to grow and grow and grow as a state. And as we grow all of these areas, I mean, you guys think about it in Charlotte, 20 years ago, Mecklenburg County was a Republican county. And that has changed to the point that it is such a solidly blue county, but it's because of the in-migration of these college-educated voters. And I also think that's why you see places like Union County, a huge Republican stronghold, Democrats actually did better in Union County in 2020 than they did in 2016 or 2012. And that's because college-educated voters, and the same thing's true with Cabarrus, same thing's true with Gaston, college-educated voters in the suburbs are moving outside of Mecklenburg County. And that's, that's gonna, that is transforming uh, North Carolina's political climate and environment. Following up on your, what you said about history, if Sherry Beasley wins, the big news on election night will be that North Carolina has elected an African-American to the U.S. Senate, a first for this southern state. And if elected, she might be the only black woman in the U.S. Senate and only the third ever. And yet, um, is her campaign promoting this possible bit of history enough to energize black voters? Where is Barack Obama? Uh, he's carried North Carolina. Why hasn't he campaigned with Cherry Beasley here? And how do you get candidates, big guns like him, to come in and uh, you need to support they supported the national party to get him here or does it come because of relationships? It's, it's not, not that simple. There are a lot of messages, you know, everybody sees the TV ads, but the truth of the matter is there's a ton of messaging. The way we target voters is individually now. And that means uh, Tim, you may have a different ad served to you or a different piece of mail served to you, a different, completely different message than your next door neighbor based on what we believe you want to, want to, what you would respond to. There's a ton of targeting going on out there, not with, with voters of all races and genders and, and age groups on messaging that matters. But the fact of the matter is, it's, it's pretty clear that we haven't had an African-American in the U.S. Senate, and African-American voters are very attuned to that. Mm. Sherry Beasley has made abortion a big issue here, but... Our don't you think anti-abortion voters would be just as motivated to go to the polls this year in North Carolina? No, I don't. You got to understand anger's the motivator here. Anti-abortion folks, the ones that were, were already going to vote, it is it is the the mass of people that are coming out in droves that are pro-choice voters 
These are these are women, 25 to 40. A lot of men uh, that are pro-choice voters that think this is this is the Supreme Court decision was insane. But the Supreme Court decision being one thing to take away a 40 year right guaranteed to women and families and all of a sudden throw it out the window. But you got Ted Budd that has the most extreme position on abortion that you can have. No abortion, no exceptions for rape, incest, or life of the mother. That is not where North Carolina voters are. Unaffiliated voters are now the biggest voter group in North Carolina, but their turnout rate is generally below uh, both Republicans and Democrats. Uh, how do you get them motivated? And, and are there enough of them that are truly unaffiliated voters, truly swing voters, persuadable voters, to make this uh, not a turnout election as much as a persuadable voter election? Well, I think it's both. I mean, midterms are won by turning out your base, and then it's won by who can persuade the small sliver of truly undecided or or swing voters, or as we call them, ping pong voters, because they bounce back and forth uh, between the parties in different elections based on who the candidates are, based on what the environment is. And so I think you have to do both things. I think you have to motivate your base. But on swing voters, they are unaffiliated voters. You know, the interesting thing is there are a ton of unaffiliated voters and their largest voting bloc. These folks, by nature, don't want to associate with either party. But what you have to understand about them is many of them are behaviorally Democrats right. or behaviorally Republicans. And they just don't want to have a label on them that says they're one way or the other. And so, as, as I always like to say, if you're an unaffiliated voter, college educated, who lives in Durham, I know who you're voting for. If you're an unaffiliated voter who's non-college educated and you and you live in Randolph County, I know who you're voting for. And it's it, so you can't they're not all they're not all judged the same to a certain extent. I think the, the what we've seen in past cycles is the real swing vote. The majority of the swing vote runs through the suburbs. They're college educated. They are focused on a lot of issues. We find this cycle that those voters are, are more uh, upset about the Dobbs decision and more concerned about taking rights away from women than the voting bloc as a whole. That's a good thing for Sherry Beasley. While food prices have remained high, gas prices take off the reminder of voters every week of how much they pay at the pump. And I, I think that's why you see some of the economic concern with voters has actually dipped. Let me ask you one last question, Morgan. Um, Democrats uh, tend to win in North Carolina by running as moderates or the North Carolina Democrats who kind of keep their distance from Democrats in Washington and the National Party. That, that seems to be Sherry Beasley's strategy in her ads. Uh, it certainly worked in governor's races, as you know, but will will it work? Has it ever worked? And will it work in Senate races, which tend to be more ideological? Yeah, it, it has worked. And I, I mean, I, I think you, you can look at Kay Hagan's race. You can look at uh, when John Edwards won in 1998, these these are races that Democrats won, uh, challenging races that they won, but they did it by identifying in North Carolina. But listen, Republicans do it too. And I think the challenge here is what the Democratic challenge is, is you want to make sure that you are voters see you as rooted in North Carolina and that your values are from North Carolina. But you also have to make the case Ted Budd is a nationalized MAGA Republican, that is is that both parties, the national brand for both parties are, are in the dumpster with voters. And I think that's what you have to make. It. You have to make it rooted in North Carolina. Thank you, Morgan, for uh, talking to us and our listeners today. I appreciate it. Hey, great to talk to you, Tim. Anytime. So, Jim and Tim, in that interview, I thought 
one of the things that stood out to me was when Morgan Jackson said that the race has not been nationalized and that that was good for Sherry Beasley. I kind of perked up when I heard that. And I think there's a lot of truth in that statement. I think that, you know, he talked about North Carolina being a 50-50 state. I still tend to think of it as slightly pink or or Republican leaning. And I think the the more you take national politics out of it, I think he's right. I think it does help. uh, It does help Sherry Beasley. Actually, I think it's going to get a lot more attention in the final weeks, because if you if you look at the people that monitor polling, they're saying this is the closest race in the country, along with Wisconsin. And I think that the sort of attack ads on both sides are going to are going to go way up in the final weeks. I think he made some good points about debates in general, uh, whereas in the previous couple Senate elections, we've seen several debates between the candidates and this will probably be the only one between these candidates. And I think what we're seeing is candidates reluctant to debate for the same reason that we talked about a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, why they don't want to talk to the media. They want to control their agenda. They want to, they don't want to make mistakes. He said the only way you can lose a debate is, you know, by making a mistake or, or saying something you shouldn't say. So I think candidates are aware of that. And I think that's one reason why they don't want to take the chance. And the Beasley campaign, I think, you know, they were originally pushing for the debate to be held by the North Carolina Association of Broadcasters, which would have been public TV. This is on Spectrum. A lot of people don't have Spectrum. I don't. I now have YouTube TV. I'll have to find a way to watch it. Um, It is Friday night. So I think two things with Friday night. One, you'll have fewer people watching it live. But I think the bigger thing is just the media cycle. Just for my personal experience, I'll watch the debate. I'll probably put together a story for WFAE, but it will run on Saturday. It'll be shorter, fewer people will hear it, and I think that's going to play out throughout the entire kind of media yeah, I ecosystem. Don't, I don't think either candidate is really looking to this to be the be the thing. They just want to survive it, like you said, and 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 maybe try to get some good coverage uh, long term. Uh, get one of their zingers, or I, I also think Morgan Jackson seem and the Democrats seem to have a lot of faith in her personality that she's. She comes across in her ads as a real person. And uh, so I, I think they're banking on that. And, and also to cast uh, Ted Budd as kind of an extremist, which they haven't done a very good job of yet. But I think that's you're going to hear a lot more of that uh, maybe in the debate and in the final weeks. I would think unlike unlike him, I think that uh, inflation is still going to be a big issue yeah. and maybe the driving issue for a lot of voters. He seemed to think that, that the intensity of it is going down and. Maybe it is along with gas prices that you see on every corner, but I think people are still pretty tuned into inflation. And I think another thing that could be going down, I'm not saying it is, but the Dobbs ruling, you know, it is a little bit now in the rearview mirror. For a lot of people, it is still a huge issue. But I do think that for a small segment of voters, we hear about abortion a little bit less in the news cycle each day. And and I'm not sure that uh, nationalizing the race doesn't work for her. I think if, you know, Trump is so controversial now and uh, people are talking about about saving democracy, you know, I think those are issues that she could use against Ted Budd if she chose. Will that play in a state where he won twice, though? I mean, I, I there are a lot of people out there who will be more motivated to vote because of their allegiance to Donald Trump. So it's it'll be interesting to see how that cuts. But a lot's happened with Trump in the yeah, last couple true. of years. All right. Well, let's get uh, let's shift gears. Jim, you're going to talk to Paul Shoemaker, Republican strategist. Here we go. Paul Shoemaker is arguably the most successful Republican consultant in North Carolina. 
He's a top strategist for both U.S. Senators Richard Burr and Tom Tillis. With Tillis, he was part of two of the most expensive Senate campaigns in U.S. history. He's also worked for many other GOP candidates and in the 1980s worked for Jim Martin's successful gubernatorial campaigns. And this year, he worked for the Senate campaign of former Governor Pat McCrory. Paul loves numbers, so much so that he was once described as the data guy behind North Carolina Republicans. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. So let's start by talking about the debate on October 7th. This is going to be the first and probably the only debate of the campaign between these two candidates. Who faces the most pressure? Uh, my, my opinion is that both candidates have an equal amount of pressure on them in that uh, one, uh, from a Ted Budd perspective, is that their approach needs to be to minimize errors, uh, try not to make mistakes. Uh, from the Beasley campaign standpoint, is that they're going to have to look to try to draw out some differences between themselves and Ted Budd as it relates to other issues outside of the economy. And that's a pretty difficult task in itself. Because he'll be talking a lot about the economy, I assume. Uh, the economy is the main driver in the narrative, and the economic indicator on that is the price of a gallon of milk, the price of a pound of bacon, and the price of a loaf of bread. You know, after the debate, uh, each side is going to have their own spin doctors saying, uh, you know, good things about their candidate's performance. But who really decides who wins a debate and who loses? It will be the media narrative uh, that is generated not just by the traditional media, but what takes place in the social media platforms today. The way these debates take place and what's going on during the course of a debate is that both campaigns are going to have situation rooms set up. And they should have a team of social media people that are going to be engaging and working to push out the narrative. They're also going to be monitoring key reporters. And Jim, I have personal experience with you in the Tillis Hagen debate. One time you put a tweet out, I think it was during the broadcasters debate about how Tom Tillis had mentioned Kay Hagen and Barack Obama so many times in the first 20 minutes of the debate. Uh, we, I chuckle about that and remember it for the very simple reason. Our goal was to get Tillis to say it at least 12 times during the course of the debate, and he had surpassed that number, according <laughs> to your count, in the first 20 minutes. Well, I'm glad I could be of help to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's talk about Bud's campaign. He was endorsed, obviously, by President Trump in the Republican primary against Pat McCrory. Um, that helped him in the primary. Uh, he, he won a pretty resounding victory in that. But how do you think that plays in a general election with independent voters, and especially at a time when Trump's legal problems dominate the news cycle? A couple things on that. First of all, driving factor in the uh, uh, primary for U.S. Senate, which I have firsthand knowledge on, was a $15 million that Club for Growth spent. Uh, if it had not been for that, most voters would not have even known who the president had endorsed in that race, uh, number one. Number two is, is that uh, elections are not held in vacuums. And whereas uh, you could say that you make the argument, if you look at the numbers and you look at image ratings and you look at the legal troubles uh, around the former president and say, OK, that's a that's a liability, that's a problem. But the Democrats are not without sin here. They have an equally compelling liability or bigger problem on their hands, and that's called Joe Biden. Uh, the image numbers for both Biden and Trump very much parallel each other. Uh, I put a polling memorandum out a couple of weeks ago. Trump was negative 12 overall with North Carolina voters. Uh, Joe Biden was negative 11. However, with voters who was most interested interested in the 2022 uh, midterm elections, Trump was net negative five, Biden was net negative 12. And that comes back to my arguments on the economy. 
Well, let's talk about that. Do you think that uh, the economy will trump other issues like abortions, which has gotten a lot of publicity? Absolutely. And I'll go ahead and give you a little bit of a precursor into it because I'm going to be putting another memorandum out. But we just finished up doing a data analytics model for statewide races in North Carolina. And I actually asked the question in that model, you know, when it comes to the 2022 election cycle, which is more important to use as a candidate who's focused on addressing economic issues and fighting inflation or a candidate who is focused on uh, the issue of abortion and greater access. Uh, that was a 50, about a 53 and a half to 37 split. Uh, a, a clear, you know, uh, 15 intensity point around the economy gap there. The other thing is, it's key to understanding all those numbers is that those on the left who um, are advocating for and want less restrictions or no restrictions whatsoever, those numbers are already baked in for the Democrats. They already have that vote. They had that vote before uh, the Dobbs decision. Uh, the question is going to be is that as they move to the middle, where's that middle? That middle is not positioned, not nearly extreme as the Democratic base is on the issue of abortion, number one. Number two is, is that the economic is a big, greater, greater driving factor for them. It's in their everyday lives. Bud has supported Senator Graham's call for a national ban after 15 weeks. I think Senator Graham was trying to get a middle ground there. But Bud has also said during the primary that he would oppose abortion even in the case of rape or incest. And you told Axios that if Beasley can radicalize Bud on abortion, that she'd have a better shot with suburbanites. Has she done that or do you see any couple, sign that couple she's things trying? On that. Well, no, a couple things on that. Number one, she will try to do that, Okay. Number two is the comments with Axios and everything else was well before the Lindsey Graham uh, are about at the same time, the Lindsey Graham, but before Ted Budd came out. Thirdly is, is that I don't know why everyone in the media continues to want to talk about a 15 week ban. Uh, Roe versus Wade was never put into the context of a ban on abortion. Roe versus Wade set a context for when selective or elective abortions were permissible and allowable. No different than what Lindsey Graham. It's a 15-week period that they have set aside there. Uh, so there's no ban to that. That's a great misnomer. The Democrats would like to call that a ban because they think that helps them with their political narrative. Number three is you're absolutely right where Bud, Ted Buzz's position was in the primary. It's also the position he had when he was uh, running for, for Congress in a very safe Republican district. Also, it was a position he had under the umbrella of Roe versus Wade, uh, which, quite frankly, sore served as a political safe harbor for Republicans not to have to have that discussion within their party. However, we've seen him evolve on that issue. Uh, and the fact of the matter is that he has said 15 weeks is, a, is, is an acceptable term from his opinion. And you're going to see more and more Republicans come out about that. At the same time, look at Susan B. Anthony, the organization with the premier, probably the premier pro-life organization. They have applauded Senator Graham for his leadership. Well, how do you think that whole issue will play with suburbanites? Um, even well, Jim, if, here's even the if point. Here's the, here's, the, here's, the very, here's the very point here from that. Democrats are going to, to try to look to those suburban voters and say, hey, the sky may be falling. If you elect Republicans, if you elect a supermajority in the in North Carolina legislature, if you elect these Republicans to Congress, when it comes to the issues of, 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 of abortion, the sky may be falling. When the reality is that same voters getting in their car, going down to the local, local grocery store and walking in saying, my God, the sky is falling. It's going to be determined by what they're paying and what's being put out of their pocketbook every day when they go in to buy their groceries. 
So you don't think the abortion issue will make any difference in suburban in suburbia? I do not see the. I've seen nothing in the numbers right now. Here's what I've here's what I've been saying very consistently on it. Is there's a pathway for Beasley and there's a pathway for Bud. Bud's pathway to victory is much broader and wider uh, because Joe Biden has cleared that path for him. The economic concerns are very very much driving the economy. More more voters have a concern about e- economies the economic issues, the, any other one set of issues. Immigration helps Republicans with suburban female voters. Crime helps Republicans with suburban female voters. Uh, quite frankly, is that economics helps Republicans with suburban female voters. Well, you mentioned crime. Uh, the Club for Growth, which you're very familiar with, has a new ad up that's uh, blasting Beasley's record as a judge on crime and making it possible for criminals to get out of jail. Uh, Morgan Jackson told us that, that 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 line of attack is not working. What do you think? Well, first of all, I think that ad has not been up that long. Secondly, is we've not had a, we have, it's not been out there long enough to determine that. Thirdly, is is that what I'd remind my good friend Morgan is to go back and see how how well Deborah Ross favored when we made that whole ex, that whole election about sex offender registry and and her being soft on crime. There's a very strong pathway there for that to work. Uh, the other thing is, I can go back to 2018, George holding congressional race. George is a client of mine, running in the triangle, very tough competitive race. We made it all about immigration. The reason why Burr's race was in, in, in 2016 was about her uh, Ross's opposition to the sex offenders. That messaging does work, and it works with suburban-based women. Richard Burr won by almost 300,000 votes. Widest vote margin for a Republican that year in this state. In 2018, in a race that most people thought George Holding was not going to win, we won and won it hands down going away. And it was all because of how we played out the immigration issue. Crime and immigration, the fact that that, that Morgan and other Democrats failed to see that, I would hope they will not listen to this podcast because I would not like them to, to figure that part of it out. You know, one other thing Morgan told us was that um, – College education is a bigger indicator now of how somebody might vote, and there are a lot of college-educated people in the suburbs. Do you think Republicans have more challenges in getting support from college-educated voters? I've been saying this for the last four years. If Republicans do not fix their voter gap problem with four-year college-educated voters, they will be non-competitive by the end of this decade statewide in statewide elections in North Carolina. In fact, in a good conversation I had just recently with Senator Tellus, I said one of the things you have to realize is that because of the re- business reforms, you started as Speaker of the House as it related to, dereg- uh, to deregulation of business issues, as it related to our re- tax reform policies. We created a economic engine in North Carolina that's attracting companies from from globally, but particularly across North Carolina, I mean across the country, with our very high tech focus. High-skilled workforce, highly educated workforce, and Republicans have got to find that pathway to do that. There are a couple of issues that helps them with that. One is very much economics uh, from that standpoint. Secondly is you can't look at the crime issue. Uh, you've got Democrats on the left out there advocating no cash bail systems now. That is not going to help them with the four-year college-educated voter. They actually believe, and quite frankly, the debt forgiveness on the college uh, loan program will not help them with the four-year college-educated voter because a lot of these people went to school, borrowed money, and have paid their money back, and they think it's a point of personal responsibility that they, others should do that as they have done. Well, why do Republicans so have— right, and that is a problem, and Republicans, if Republicans fail to address that— I'm at a point in time in my career is that I'm more worried about the legacy left behind, and I want to see a party remain competitive. Uh, and uh, and I, I have been very vocal about that, even within uh, uh, Republican circles. Well, why do Republicans have 
that trouble with college educated voters? Uh, it's not it's not a question of, of having. Well, first of all, if you want to look at the, uh, the trouble, it's, it's go back to uh, uh, the HB2 issue back in, in the 2016 and everything else is that the four year college educated voter is more focused on economics, more of a they are more of a somewhat physical conservative, but very much a social moderate to social liberal. Uh, if you look up at the makeup of the Republican Party is a very much very conservative uh, to the right, somewhat conservative. And then a sl- smaller slice of moderates and 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 non I mean less than three percent self-described liberals. The problem, though, and, and quite frankly, the same is, is the problem for the Democrats. Less for the Republicans. Problem for the Democrats uh, uh, is that the Democrats can very much be part of the solution for Republicans because Democrats continue to become more and more left to center. Uh, Back when I got into business, in fact, when I started my own business in 1990, uh, um, January 1993, uh, Democratic Party was about 30 points right of center ideologically, the party of Jim Hunt, quite frankly, you say the party of Roy Cooper, uh, party of Mark Basnight, who you guys will remember very well. Now, the Democratic Party is a party that has moved during that time frame, they have now moved 60 points left to center. Barack Obama nationalized the Democratic Party. Uh, the fight in the Democratic Party is a fight between the radical Democrats and the liberal Democrats. There are no moderate to conservative, very few moderates, but no conservative Democrats left. The fight in the Republican Party is the fight between the country club Republican and the country Republicans. But the fact is, is that if the Democrats lose their fight in their party and the radicals take over, then they will fix that problem for us real quickly. Let me ask you about another issue. Bud voted not to certify the 2020 election. He voted against a bill that would reform the 1887 Electoral Count Act, which is designed to avoid a repeat of January 6th. And this happens as Democrats across the country are trying to make democracy an issue. Um, And but but it also has also hedged on whether or not he would abide by the election results. Is he vulnerable to being called an extremist? Uh, he's. I mean, there is no. There. I don't think there's any any disagreement from from Republicans or Democrats alike as far as the operative world, and and most reporters that Ted Budd is not by is by far the most conservative candidate nominated uh, for U.S. Senate, uh, even to the right of, uh, in my opinion, of Jesse Helms. How Democrats choose to play that out if they choose to go down that path. Uh, the question is going to be, are they abandoning anything on the economic front? It's not for me to cage out how they do that battle, but, you know, Bud, Bud would be vulnerable on those issues. Is it an issue that's a driving narrative right now? I don't see that in the numbers. You know, Sherry Beasley would be the first African-American female elected to the Senate from North Carolina, the first African-American. Is that going to be a factor in terms of turnout and, and getting uh, dem- the Democratic base motivated? Uh, right now, I have not seen that being a factor, and uh, uh, and the reason why I say that is is that it's just I mean the 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 Democrat problem that they have I mean this is the the environment right now is a lot like 2014. Uh, we had nothing in our numbers that, that ever thought that may led us to believe that Tom Tillis was not going to win the U.S. Senate race. In fact, we put a memorandum out three weeks before the election about how the Democrats have a turnout problem. The Democrats have a huge turnout problem right now, and that problem is with voters who are under the age of 40, and that problem is with voters who are minority voters. Uh, that is very much across the board, every cross tab I've seen just about in every single survey. In fact, I've made this comment to many members of the media that Joe Biden's debt forgiveness uh, uh, program with uh, student loans is all about trying to fix a turnout problem that Democrats have. 
Uh, the problem is, is that if, if Beasley goes down and tries to exploit that, if she tries to make it about race, then they actually, that actually has a uh, potential for a blowback against that at the same time. When Barack Obama carried North Carolina in 2008, it was never about race. It was about the economy. And keep in mind, we had an economic crash around August of 2008. Uh, your former candidate, Pat McCrory, hasn't endorsed Ted Budd yet, at least as far as we know. You've also done a poll that showed only 40 percent of Republicans support a near total abortion ban. And given that Trump is so polarizing among even Republicans, could this cost Bud Republican votes in a general election? Uh, you need a good what cost him specifically Republican votes. Well, the fact uh, that McCory hadn't endorsed him, Bud hadn't no. called, hadn't asked for the endorsement. So I don't know, you know, there's his ties you know, that's, to that's, his ties to Trump and stand on abortion. Mm, you know, does the does again that goes back to does that help them cobble together a coalition that 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 surpasses the economy? I do not see that. Uh, keep in mind, we've already talked about you know where he has moved on to the 15 weeks with that. That helps move that. Keep in mind, you, you know, Republicans, you know, we, you know, politics and, 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 and voter decisions is not based upon the single issue. Voters are usually founded on the far right and on the far left. And they're motivated by a lot of different reasons. At the end of the day, the single issue voter on the right uh, who may be motivated on, on, on a ban are also the same type of voters who are going to dis- who are going to hate Joe Biden. They're going to hate Democrats. They're going to turn out and vote. Same thing on the left. And that's what I said is that in the post-Dobbs decision world, those voters that care about those issues the most, they're already baked into it. The right has their base part of it. The left has their base part of it. It does not change the equation of the election. And also another key factor here that everybody needs to understand, in 2022, it will be the first midterm election where unaffiliated voters outnumber Democrats and Republicans. Okay, they're the driving factor. And the historical significance of that is not as much about how unaffiliated outnumber Republicans is the fact that the change in 20 in, in 2014, Democrats right at 47% of overall registered voters, unaffiliated were behind Republicans. Uh, Democrat registration now we're up, we're at parity. I mean, we're at we're at 3330, and with unaffiliates being right at 35. And so building that coalition, the middle is not going to be driven by single issues. They're very sophisticated voters. They're not single-dimensional voters like like the activists may be on the right or on the left. Paul, thank you very much. Uh, Appreciate you talking to us. Great. Enjoy it, as always. Appreciate everything you guys do, and, and glad to spend a little time with you today. So that was Republican strategist Paul Shoemaker talking about the Senate race and the upcoming debate. A couple things stood out to me listening to that conversation. One, I thought it was interesting when he kind of flat out and clearly said Ted Budd is the most conservative North Carolina Senate nominee uh, ever. And then he kind of made sure to kind of clarify that and said even more than Jesse Helms. I perked up at that. The other thing I thought was really interesting was um, – Paul Shoemaker saying that Bud co-sponsoring the Lindsey Graham bill on 15 weeks abortion, that, that in his view, took that off the table. And I'm not sure it does. I think that the in the Beasley campaign, they were, I think, really surprised that Bud put his name to that uh, and did not run away from this issue. And I don't think 15 weeks um, kind of, quote, unquote, settles it and removes it as an issue. What do you all think? I don't think people hear the 15 weeks part. They hear the national ban part. And it 
makes Bud look like an extremist to a lot of suburban women or a lot of people who are motivated by that issue. Uh, I I think he's wrong. I that's the I thought that was really not very smart of of uh, Bud. And also, I wonder how smart it was to agree to a debate. I don't think that's his strongest suit. And if Beasley can can make people think that he's the most conservative candidate since Jesse Helms, the change the state has changed a lot. According as Morgan Jackson said, that that may be her ticket. You know, he he talked about uh, abortion being mainly an issue for, uh, you know, Democrats and, and not necessarily people in the middle or unaffiliated voters. Um, he's been doing this for a long time, but I have to think that it'll motivate the people and the people who who are pro-choice will be motivated to get out there and vote, whereas it's always been a challenge to motivate people in the middle of anything, unaffiliated voters in particular. And he's looking at his data from this race and says he doesn't see the evidence of this. And so fair point. But then I think it's important to look at the evidence kind of nationally about the elections that we have had since Dobbs, those special elections where Democrats kind of continue to overperform what Joe Biden did. So I don't think you can discount that. And I mean, I do think it's fair to say each day that goes by, we talked about this earlier, farther from the Dobbs decision, maybe it recedes from people's minds. But it's shown up time and time again in special elections as helping Apparently helping Democrats. That's a pretty strong ad the Democrats have put out about Bud that he wants to put doctors in jail and he's doesn't even have a, you know, rape or incest doesn't is not an exception. So one thing one thing Shoemaker said that I think was true and not true. One, he said that Democrats may have a turnout problem with minorities and younger people. I think traditionally that's been the case in midterms. Uh, I think that's the challenge for Beasley. If she can't get a big turnout among minorities and young people, she's toast. But I think he was wrong about Barack Obama. I think, yes, the economy worked for Obama nationally, but he covered he carried North Carolina because young people and minorities came out like crazy because they were so excited by his candidacy. And that's why he carried this. He was the first Democrat to carry this state in 30 plus years. So I, I'm not sure she's working on that enough, but that could be another avenue for her. I thought it was interesting that he said, too, that, um, you know, one line of attack for her against Bud would have to be uh, economic to counterbalance the inflation fears. And that might explain why the Senate Majority Pact, which is a Democratic organization affiliated with the party, is running ads about Ted Bud's family farm business and mm-hmm. how they went bankrupt and how they, quote, screwed the farmers, screwed regular people, according to the ad. Tim, you know, going back to what you said about the turnout issue, I think that the Beasley campaign and talking to them, trying to find those extra votes to win, they are trying to kind of turn back the losses that Democrats have have faced in rural counties in North Carolina that have a lot of black voters up in the Northeast and places like Anson County, where there's been a really big shift in federal elections over the last 10 years where they've Democrats are still winning them, but now smaller margins. And I think that there's not a lot of votes in, say, Anson County. But if you string together places like Anson and Richmond and places in the Northeast, that they they hope to find enough votes to to put them over the top. I think he was right, though, about the economy. I've taken some grief from some people by saying that that, you know, that's the issue to most people this year. And historically, you would say that's got to be a good good news for the Republicans. I don't hear Beasley addressing that as much as I think she should. The farm thing was 
maybe a little bit, but I, I think she may uh, regret not talking more about uh, the economy because that, for most people, he's right. That's an everyday concern. Well, we are going to see those two in a couple of days debate for the first time and probably the only time in this race. That'll be Friday night for Steve Harrison and Tim Funk and Jim Morrill. This is Inside Politics Election 2022 on WFAE. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.